Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. And now, AJ and Chris Shepard. Our next guest is the Senior Vice President of Investor Relations at Lloyd-Jones, a boutique private equity firm specializing in multifamily and senior housing. He brings his 15 years of experience in operational leadership, asset management, and financial analysis to the firm's syndication division. Here to discuss the underwriting approach and dynamics of investing in senior living space, please welcome Stuart Keller. All right. Today, we've got Stuart Keller with us. Stuart is the Senior VP of Investor Relations over at Lloyd-Jones. Stuart, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how you yourself kind of got started into real estate? Yeah, no. Thank you so much for having me, AJ. So really back in 2010, you know, right out of grad school, got involved with a smaller private equity shop. You know, we were buying non-performing loans and REO assets, thrown right into the deep end in all things real estate, you know, anywhere from underwriting to asset management, and then actually dabbled in operations on the commercial real estate side with absolutely no experience. And then after that, moved over into multifamily operations, working for a couple of big national management firms as a regional manager, and then moving up into a regional vice president slot. You know, after transition out of a management company, joined Lloyd-Jones to actually oversee their management or their multifamily portfolio, which was about 7,000 units. And then from there, I was doing that role for about five months. COVID hit, our principal, Chris, asked me to build out our asset management platform. So I did that for about two and a half, three years. After we sold several of our assets throughout the Southeast, I've actually started a syndication platform which is, you know, allowing accredited investors to invest in both of our multifamily and senior living properties throughout the U.S. Nice. Like when your boss comes and asks you like, hey, start this syndication company, like how did you go about doing that or what did you do? Yeah. So at first I was kind of took a step back and actually reached out to a couple of my colleagues that have been involved in real estate syndications. They made further introductions, got introduced to a legal firm here in Florida that all they do is syndication law. The owner of that firm actually wrote a syndication book. So I ended up reading that book twice, cover to cover, just trying to understand what the different dynamics were, what the regulations were, and then just jumped on YouTube and started figuring out kind of what the dynamics were. And then I actually, you know, had different calls with some very generous people over at CrowdStreet, Realty Mogul, Cardone Capital. And really just picked their brain. You know, everybody's been super helpful. And then actually hired a consultant who's done several syndication setups for other firms over the past 10 years. And he's been very resourceful, especially on the back end technical component, you know, for the investor management systems, the KYC, the accounting, and then actually how we 
funnel prospects through the portal, from the website through the portal, then actually get them to sign the PPM and the various subscription documents. That system sounds pretty slick. Pretty cool what you did and how quickly, I mean, you were able to do it. Sounds like you were able to just reach out and make some pretty amazing connections, which is awesome. And so I guess to step back just a little bit, you work for Lloyd-Jones. And I want to say that most of our audience is not familiar with Lloyd-Jones, but with my research, like you guys have a really impressive company. Can you just share a little bit more about the history of the company and, you know, I guess like how you grew to the size that you are today? Of course. Yeah. So our chairman, Chris Finley, started doing real estate about 40, 45 years ago. I guess he initially got started through the downturn in the 80s and he was buying assets from the FDIC and going in and managing them. He had assets anywhere from post offices to banks to some apartments you know, and then in the early 2000s, he actually started doing a ground up tax credit development throughout the US. He went out and actually raised and, you know, built out the platforms. And I think he was one of the largest tax credit developers in the US, you know, in the early 2000s. Wow. From there, in 2008, 2010, got into the value add multifamily space, you know, absolutely prime time to do that. You know, so from that standpoint, did that. I joined in 2018 into Lloyd Jones, you know, solid, you know, little over a billion dollar multifamily portfolio. Some development projects are underway. And then a couple of years ago, you know, really started digging into the senior living platform. So from that standpoint, in total, we've been involved in a little less than 2 billion in transactions over the past 15 years with the current portfolio of about 1.1 to 1.2 billion AUM. That's pretty incredible. And so, I mean, the story you just described is that like the company has kind of sought out trends that are like needs in the future. And your next need that you see is senior living and what the silver tsunami is what you're calling it. And so I guess, you know, your guys... I guess, educated guesses have been spot on. And can you, I guess, try and share a little bit of your strategy and how the company has been so successful at finding these trends and then being uh, pretty amazing at accomplishing the operations of those strategies? Uh, Absolutely. So, I mean, Chris is you know, sometimes he'll come to me with ideas or his thoughts or feedback. And I'm just like, I don't see it. I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm going to trust it. You know, when Chris first asked me to be involved and kind of build out the syndication platform, I'm like, what do I know about this? But, you know, Chris saw in me something that I didn't see. And he tends to really see the opportunities and the trends because he reads probably two to three books a week. You know, you walk into our office and it's just, it is a full blown library in the office in Miami. So, you know, being able to spot trends and then Chris is very much an entrepreneurial, you know, philanthropic private equity owner, meaning he's hiring people that, have an entrepreneurial spirit that want to go out and just build, grow, and develop. 
So everybody in the office is doing their own research, having their own ideas, you know, being able to just text or call the CEO of a billion dollar company, you know, even on a Friday night, he's going to pick up the phone. So it's very much the environment here at Lloyd Jones that we've created is very open. You know, if you've got an ego, you know, just, you know, check it at the door. So being able to build that symmetry around, you know, within the office and having all of the different departments work really cohesively together, I think has really contributed to our success in a very short period of time. Yeah. That's a pretty awesome environment. And it sounds like the company culture that has been set up is just a one that is set up for rapid growth. So I'd love to hear more about kind of your guys' plan for senior living and how you're going to, I guess, jump on that trend. Yeah. So right now, so we've closed on, you know, as of, you know, Q3, we've closed on 12 senior living properties throughout the U.S., you know, we're on track to, you know, probably close about five more in 2022. We do have some ground up development stuff, some hotel conversions. We're actually taking like extended stay hotels and refitting them for independent living or age-restricted communities with high-end amenities, full commercial kitchens. So from that standpoint, being able to, you know, continue and really address the silver tsunami in advance before it becomes a true crisis is definitely a part of our business strategy. And then obviously continuing to look in the multifamily space, one of the items that's been really prohibitive on in acquiring more multifamily deals has been just the uh, debt markets and the kind of pricing discovery that's still going on, you know, and these summer doldrums, you know, especially here in Florida, transactions really just dry up, you know, going through the summer months. And then not to mention the debt markets is making, you know, sellers look for a certain price and then buyers. So the bid ask spread is just really not helping the situation as far as those transactions are concerned. Yeah. We're seeing the same thing here and in other markets too, is that sellers kind of base their sale price off a cap rate and now interest rates have gone up correlatively, like the cap rate should go up, but the sellers have been used to this like low cap rate and they're like, well, yeah. I should get that for it. So there's certainly going to be some lag time between the realization and, you know, when it actually happens. But I mean, it seems like multifamily prices are gonna drop in the future. But, you know, I think we've always said that, you know, finding the deal like off market or directly to the seller or being one of the only bidders on it like having that relationship definitely allows for more deals to get done. So yeah, the senior living and kind of assisted living space is pretty interesting. So you're taking extended stay hotels and then converting them. Like is the size of those deals the same as kind of like a multifamily? I mean, I guess when I see like an extended stay hotel, like it's like five buildings, maybe like 60 to 80 units. But I'm assuming on the multifamily side, you guys were doing deals 200, 300 plus. Like, how does that kind of compare in, I guess, the deal size and then like the amount of work that kind of each one is willing? I mean, the other thing I will say is as my brother and I have done larger and larger deals, like we're at the point now where when we look at a smaller deal, we're like, I'm not sure it's even worth the time to do that 
just yeah. because we know that we can do so much more with larger units. Yeah. So Q1 this year, we closed on almost $300 million in multifamily deals on the buy side, which was three properties. As far as kind of the senior living component, senior living is underwritten very similarly at a high macro level relative to multifamily. The nuances in the senior living space is really going to be geared towards, you know, just starting at the top of the income statement. Your move-ins and your leases are going to go at a snail's pace compared to multifamily. The actual property sizes are also going to be much smaller. I don't really know why that is other than the staffing requirements in senior living vary state to state based on the care level and based on how many care providers you have to have on site. So there's a ratio as you increase in the level of care from an independent living to an assisted living to memory care to skilled nursing. As far as the kind of hotel conversions, you know, we're really looking at anywhere from 70 units to 120 units on the high end. And typically we're looking at single building mid-rise properties. So they're all going to be elevated, you know, easy access to and from the residence rooms. Interesting. And so senior living has, I guess, a significantly like higher level of operations required. I mean, you mentioned the staffing requirements. So have you guys kind of been gearing up your, I guess, operations to be more focused on senior living? And like, when did you guys invest in your first senior living project? And then when do you guys kind of see yourselves? It sounds like you're ramping it up, like yeah. closed on 12 and you've got five more in the pipeline. And they yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So like, so right now, I mean, starting in 2021, you know, we built out a foundation throughout the United States where within the four different regions that we're going to be buying and selling properties, we've got the Northeast, the Southeast, the Midwest, and the Southwest. Each of those four regions is going to have its own COO and its own CIO. The COO is going to be heavily involved in the operations, the hands-on, being able to touch and feel the assets, you know, consistently, where the CIO is going to be, you know, market and sub-market experts, have the relationship with the brokers, and also asset manage these deals. So the kind of format or the structure of doing this versus having everybody centrally located out of our Miami office is just ease of access to the properties, you know, being able, you know, being based in Florida and then trying to understand, you know, the Colorado, New Mexico and Arizona markets is going to be a challenge unless of course you're there, you're there on a daily basis, you're understanding and you're building those relationships. The other kind of staffing component, understanding that these properties are going to be more difficult is we've actually built out two transition teams And each of these transition teams will have its own VP of health, VP of dining, the, you know, nursing, you know, and even IT, where they'll actually go in, transition the properties, get everybody up to speed on a training component, really understand the community and make sure that each of those new employees really understands what the role is and more importantly, how to do the role. So from that standpoint, 
the foundation is there. And as we continue to add properties into the portfolio, it's very systematic to be able to meet those staffing requirements. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Get things done while you're on the move. Learn more about working with a virtual assistant through offsite professionals. It's a great way to get all the things done that you need to get done. Have freedom in your time and streamline your life by automating your business. Stop spending time on the tasks that you can delegate and start spending more time on your superpower. Call us today at 503-446-3177 or visit our website at offsiteprofessionals.com. Wow, that sounds pretty comprehensive. I love the idea of the transition team to just, you know, stabilize all of the, you know, tech, dining, uh, all the amenities. That's brilliant. So, I mean, you guys have a large multifamily portfolio and you've been selling some of your assets. Is the plan for your multifamily assets to, I guess you closed on a few and you've got a large multifamily division. Do you have any insight into your guys' multifamily plans? So a lot of the deals that we sold, I think we sold 11 deals this year. I was actually in charge of on the disposition side of all those assets. So it was a wild ride as the rates started to move. I'll tell you that. So, you know, as the rates continue to stabilize on the multifamily side, we will be ramping back up in that division. But right now with as accretive as the senior living space is concerned, you know, year one pro forma cap rates, you know, with very conservative underwriting are high single digits right now. We actually put our first stabilized deal that's pending to close on November 7th. We actually put it on Crowd Street. So Crowd Street is doing that one. It's got a 10 yield, you know, five-year hold, little over a 19 IRR and a 2X to, I think it's a 2.2X on the multiple. So from that standpoint, you know, definitely continuing to source and look for multifamily deals. We're anticipating Q2 of 2023 to really, we'll, we'll have, you know, substantial capital on hand to be able to go out and quickly execute on multifamily properties as well. Just out of curiosity, why did you guys elect to go with CrowdStreet? You know, CrowdStreet, we've had a good relationship with them in the past. You know, it's our first senior living deal to put on a syndication platform. We also wanted to, you know, kind of test the waters on the senior living space concurrent to building out our own syndication platform. So CrowdStreet is kind of the first in line. I mean, as I finalize our syndication platform, we'll actually be launching our own, you know, towards the beginning of January, 2023. Do you want to share just the details of your, what you did on CrowdStreet? Like what was your raise? And I mean, you mentioned the 19% IRR and then just like how, you know, you posted on CrowdStreet and then kind of how did it go? And what was the, I guess, level of effort to get that deal funded? Yeah. So, you know, the deal that we put on CrowdStreet, it actually just went live 24 hours ago on October the 6th. I will tell you it was a learning curve and it really did help, really helped me understand the different steps and highlighted some blind spots of what I didn't know on our own syndication platform. So I could kind of go in and see behind the curtain, if you will, how CrowdStreet is so successful. What I will tell you is day one, they've raised 250000 
on five different investors. So there's definitely a high level of activity. The property name is Country Club Heights. So it's 112 unit value add property, 90% occupied. It's got a five year average yield of, I think it's like 9.59 or 10%, you know, pretty nominal rent growth assumptions of three to 4% each year, you know, stabilized operating expenses. So from that standpoint, you know, going in cap rates, a six and a half. Cool. So with senior living, I'm assuming that this is just kind of assisted living, not memory care. The rents are significantly higher than multifamily, correct? Yes. And the operating expenses are also going to be substantially higher. So people in multifamily, and this is just kind of a asset management anecdote, you know, there's less focus on the operating margins in multifamily. You know, mm-hmm. if you do a deep dive and you're really scrubbing and you're doing your, you know, property comparison T12 on a per unit to really highlight, you know, where properties are performing, are they operating at a 55% operating margin or a 40% and what's driving those variances in senior living, it's all about the operating margin because if yeah. you get one more resident paying $7,000 a month for an assisted living or memory care unit, that one extra unit might necessitate additional staff members based on the state's staffing ratios that are required by state law. Oh, and there's more regulation too. Exactly. So you almost get, as you fill up an occupancy, there's different sweet spots where you're going to get the economies of scale. And then as you get to a certain threshold, you're going to get diseconomies of scale. So your revenue is going to go up. But with the increase in staffing requirements, your operating margin is actually going to go down. Mm. So it's very, so it's definitely a unique component into that senior living space that, you know, not just anybody's going to be able to go in and be able to understand how to underwrite a senior living deal. That's really interesting. So, you know, like, let's say it's a hundred unit property and you've got like a five to one ratio. And so essentially... You know, if you're at 50% occupancy, you have 10 like direct staff members. But when you get one more, you've got to go to 11. That's a new salary, $7,000 a month. And you got to pay that new person 60 grand. It's almost like, you know, and you probably break even at two or three residents per. So it's almost like you can't accept that one person. You have to wait until there's two or three or four that you can move in at the same time. And what's really interesting relative to multifamily, multifamily, you send a few text messages, you'll schedule a tour, you'll probably have them submit their application on the spot if they're looking to move. Mm -hmm. Senior living, you're going to get anywhere from eight to 12 to 15 touches with that prospective resident. And if it's an assisted living or a memory care unit, you're not working with the actual resident. You're working with the family of the resident. So the emotional aspect of moving the residents in is significantly higher. It's much more of a relationship game. You know, so as people, and we're actually getting a lot of multifamily investors interested in the senior living space, especially on the accredited side, you know, as they transition into this, being able to 
you know, coach them and say, hey, if you're reviewing a model and your model shows 10 move-ins in the first month into a senior living property, that's just got red flags written all over it. It's going to be a process because you're not going to get 10 move-ins in the first month. You know, unless of course you've been marketing for six months and it's ground up development and you're going to be, you know, leasing up, you know, it's going to be two to three per month, you know, starting in month two, maybe month three. I had a property of that. Oh, go ahead, AJ. Oh, I was going to say, I had another question kind of about the structure and the operations. I mean, as you're adding on so many, I guess, assisted living properties in the future and you've got this like transition team. I mean, is the intent to have all of those employees be working for Lloyd Jones or do you guys have like a separate management company that does it or do you work with a third party that does staffing? I mean, it just seems like that's a lot of people to deal with. It is a lot of people to deal with. We actually are vertically integrated. Our senior living operator is in-house. It's a subsidiary of Lloyd Jones called Aviva Senior Living. So Chris has hired basically industry professionals that have been around, you know, this industry for decades. Our president was the former president of, I think it was Bridge Senior Living. Don't I'm don't really recall offhand, but you know, being able to, you know, keep those operations teams, you know, on board is critical. Because as properties maybe hit a staffing hiccup, they'll be able to go in and help continue to fill that role and really take care of the residents. Now, the other unique component is property management fees, you know, two and a half, three percent. You might get more than that if it's a really dicey or a very small property on that side. Senior living, much higher revenue based on, you know, the price per unit each month on the rent you're also getting 5% on the management fees. So not only are you getting a bigger portion of the pie, it's also a much bigger pie. So those management fees also help facilitate and cover the corporate overhead to run an effective senior living platform. So diving back into the underwriting of a deal, you guys are getting as granular as you know month by month and week by week, like what a... Like, you know, if you're acquiring a property that you think there's some opportunity, maybe there's some mismanagement, some upgrades that you can make, like a value add, and it's like 30, 40, 50% occupied, I guess, how would you approach looking at a deal like that? And what are some of the factors that you would take into or just assumptions that you would make? Yeah, so... Great question. So right now, you know, after, you know, COVID, we're kind of on the tail end of COVID. There's been several, a lot of the deals that we're buying are not fully stabilized in terms of their occupancy. You know, a deal that we bought in Valparaiso, Indiana, 70% occupied. We paid 9.5 million for it, just given the occupancy drop after COVID. The prior owner, which was a REIT, they had paid 18.4 million for it. The prior owner before that paid almost 20 million for it. So you saw these properties cash flowing. You know, they were in a REIT, 
So as soon as that cash flow goes down, the value of the REIT goes down because the you know free cash flow from operations is going to be one of the biggest drivers in the REIT. So as these properties kind of come out and they hit their three, four or five year hold period within that REIT, the REIT just has to get rid of them to be able to right size their balance sheet and be able to report you know better returns to their investors. So what we're doing right now is going throughout the United States, building these relationships and buying these deals well below replacement cost with, you know, yes, with some lease up in mind from a stabilization standpoint, but being able to fund the equity reserve through the equity on the deal to be able to, you know, cover any sort of shortfalls. And in some cases, we're actually seeing the sellers actually fund an operating account with the title company to cover any sort of shortfalls in cash flow, which is going to be baked into the sales price of the asset. I'm kind of blown away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So being able to buy these deals, you know, put in, you know, one, two, you know, in some cases, you know, five or $6 million of CapEx, both on the interior and the exterior is crucial. You know, you had mentioned right before the call, as far as, you know, high barriers to entry and the development of these deals. It was like 80 or 90% of the new developments that have been going on in senior living have been going on in the five major Sunbelt markets within the US. Now, that's great in terms of a national total supply, but when you actually take a step back and realize that 80% of people that seek to go live in a senior community actually go back to their hometown they're not going to Florida. They might be going to Florida, you know, when they're in their 60s and 70s. But if they need to go back and actually live in a senior living community, they're going back to their hometown. They're actually going back to Valparaiso, Indiana. They're going back to Boston. They're going back to Lincoln, Nebraska. So from that standpoint, there is a, you know, just a general disconnect between who's building, you know, who's delivering the units and then the location of the residence. So one of the deals that we bought in Knoxville, or not in Knoxville, in Memphis is called Aviva Maybell Carter, which Johnny Cash actually built for his mom, you know, a few decades ago. Gorgeous property, needs some love on the interior and exterior. So we're doing about $5 million in renovations on that deal. And we bought it at 65% occupied. So definitely a heavy lift, but being able to serve that middle market and not be charging top of the line rents, you know, that the newer developments are going to be asking is definitely kind of our foray into senior living. It's interesting, the statistic that you brought up that 80 to 90% of people move back to their hometown. I mean, when you're looking at these new potential assisted living things, are you kind of looking at the market as a whole and like the birth rate of that like area. Cause I mean, like there's a lot of towns in the Midwest, like you mentioned, like Lincoln, where, you know, the birth rate may be like a large number because there's a lot of people that make an exodus out of the town. But if they're all coming back, I mean, I guess, how do you kind of like look at that statistic or measure that market and know that you're making the right decision? Yeah. So there's subscription platforms available that actually go in and look at net migration rates, you know, of different cohorts, whether you want to look at 65 plus, 75 plus, or 85 plus, 
And you can actually throw on different income qualifiers to be able to say, hey, within a three mile radius of Lincoln, Nebraska or Valparaiso, Indiana, you know, Valparaiso, Indiana over the next year, it's going to have an 11.2% net immigration rate of those 75 plus with at least, you know, 50,000 per year of available income to be able to spend on a senior living community. So we're really going in on a market by market and making sure that the net migration rates are lining up of the age cohort. Now, the other big, really, I think, interesting thing is for the first time in history in the U.S., the ratio of those age 64 and less and those 65 and above is actually going to become almost even. Back in the 70s and 80s, that ratio of those 64 and below was like three to one, if not five to one in some years. Come 2030, that ratio is actually going to become inverted. There's going to be more people age 65 and up than 64 and below. So the number of people to actually care. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So the fact that people aren't like focused on this or realize the huge crisis that is going to be facing seniors in the U.S. is just mind-boggling. Like the more research I've done on it, you know, basically if one in five, one in six people age 75 or over choose to live in a senior living community in 2030, and if we keep building the 45 to 50,000 units per year, there's going to be a 1.5 million unit shortfall in the U.S., Now, you compound that with the fact that there's supply chain issues, the debt market sucks, you know, you've got a lot of uncertainty and the units that are being developed are all in the five major Sunbelt markets. There's going to be a major disconnect between the affordability component of the middle market and then the actual total number of units available to support the senior population. And that's what we're really trying to capitalize on. And what I've kind of geared as, you know, philanthropic investing is we're wanting to provide, you know, quality care, you know, for the middle market, but also make it affordable and not charge the Ritz-Carlton rates, but give them a Ritz-Carlton experience. Yeah, that would be completely ideal. Well, I think we are getting on towards the end. So I'm going to start us off with our first of the four questions, which is, What's one piece of advice you would give to your 25-year-old self? Don't be so short-sighted. You know, sometimes impatience will make some decisions kind of too short-sighted, meaning sometimes you just have to be patient and stick with it a little bit longer than you would like to. Okay. And our second question, what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? So in 2000. 10, 2011, I was really big into stand-up paddleboarding. And one of the issues that I ran into was my water bottle kept rolling off of the stand-up paddleboard. So I actually went and invented the water bottle holder that gets suction cupped onto stand-up paddleboards. So I worked with a manufacturing company in China, found a distributor out of LA. They were sold all over the world. I think it was like 17 different countries. It was called Suction Sup. And I had a, you know, 
water bottle cage that would rotate vertically and horizontally, and it would be suction cupped right onto your stand-up paddleboard. We sold them in REI and, you know, all, you know, surf shops all over the U.S. And there was very little money being made in that, just given all of the hiccups and the production and the inconsistencies from China. But yeah, that was my first really big foray into entrepreneurship. That's That's a pretty cool story. Super fun. I want to say that, like, I bought cups that have suction on the bottom of them for boats. Yeah. it It just sticks to fiberglass. Did you have a patent on it or was it a specific kind of brand for paddleboarding? No. So it was patented, but I know what you're saying, the koozie with little suction cup directly below it. So this was actually a bigger plastic one with a water bottle cage that rotated 90 degrees. Nice. Yeah. The ones that we had were like the stainless steel tumblers, but the bottom was made into oh, a suction cup. Yeah. So those are awesome. It was kind yeah. of like, you know, something that Yeti would do or something like that, but yeah. It was like boat, boat glasses or I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah. Maybe boat buddy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Sorry. Next question. How has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? Formal training has been, you know, grad school, I think was probably the biggest turning point. Undergrad was just, I didn't really pay attention at all. And then got done with undergrad, went to graduate school, got a master's degree in international economics and finance and showed up the first day, failed miserably on the quiz because there was some like pre-course prep work. So grad school really taught me how to think and how to approach different activities from an analytical standpoint. And then I utilized that with just being faced with different issues and how to quantify its, you know, different impacts of various decisions that I would be making. So I would say, you know, real life experience doesn't replace anything learned in the classroom. So definitely been a positive blend. Nice. That's awesome. All right. And our final question, what was your biggest mistake and what did you learn? Biggest mistake thus far, and it still haunts me to this day, is Ooh, a good one. When you trust and you don't verify. So it keeps coming back to me. So I was a regional VP with a management company and the property's occupancy just kept going down and down and down. And I'm like, I'm looking in Yardy, I'm looking in our accounting software and showing that the units are ready. So we're taking price hits, we're offering concessions and just nothing is helping. So I show up to the property one day and I ask him to print the unit availability detail report. Like what units do we actually have ready? And I remember asking for this and the leasing consultant looks at me and she goes, yes, this is for you. But she goes, none of it's right. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, we actually have a whole handwritten list of what units are ready. And like, just that disconnect was just like, it was one of those moments where you just immediately start sweating. Just like this wave of just anxiety and nausea just came over me. And I was like, realizing that you have, in working in real estate, you have to be involved on the property. You have to walk the units. You have to walk the backs of the buildings. You know, otherwise it's something, you know, very much like a house of cards. As soon as that first one goes, then you're just going to have a cascading effect of just crap. 
that's going to negatively impact the financials and that you're going to have upset investors. And it's just, yes, that's definitely my biggest hiccup in life is trusting and not verifying. That is, uh, (laughs) (laughs) what's that? I think we have a few of those. Yeah. It's such a good lesson. Thank you so much for sharing that, Stuart. Oh, you're very welcome. It's definitely been great chatting with you guys. Yeah, Stuart, thanks for coming on the show. If our audience wants to get a hold of you or learn more about assisted living and your opportunities, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, so I would recommend that they visit our website at Lloyd Jones Investments. That's L-L-O-Y-D-J-O-N-E-S investments.com. There's going to be a contact us button that'll go directly to me and my investor relations team. And we'll be able to reach out to you right away, whether it's a one-on-one phone call or we can even just go back and forth via email. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on our show. Appreciate you sharing a wealth of information and how to kind of get into a new different type of real estate along with your experience in multifamily. Awesome. It was a pleasure. Thank you both. Yeah. Thank you so much, Stuart. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.